Well, we're in a series called Road to Resurrection where we've been going through the book of Luke. If you're here for the first time, we spent the last two weeks covering a couple sections in Luke. We're not reading through the entire book of Luke, but we're looking at the gospel of Luke to hear what Luke has to say about who Jesus is and what his ministry was on earth and what it is intended to do for us. What's its application for our lives? Two weeks ago, we looked at John the Baptist. We didn't look at Jesus. We started with John the Baptist, who actually was a, a prophet kind of standing between two worlds, the Old Testament world and the New Testament world, and he was ushering in Jesus Christ. He was preparing the way for Jesus Christ, it says. And then last week, we looked at Luke's account of Jesus and the disciples crossing the, the Sea of Galilee, and, and there was this huge storm. The, the disciples were nervous and afraid. And Jesus calms the storm and, and rebukes the, the disciples. And we see them asking this legitimately important question that we all have to answer. Who is this Jesus? Who is this man who, who stills the, will, the, the waves and the, the wind? Who is this man who has power over creation? And for your life and my life, who is this man who claims to give me, offer eternal life for anyone who would trust in him? This week, we're going to consider the question, what is the cost of following Christ? What is the cost of following Christ? Because there is a cost associated with it. There's, any, there's always a cost to being devoted to a person or a thing. You, you know, if, you, if you're really big into a particular band, you're going to buy the merch, you're going to buy the CDs, or I guess the MP3s, or you guys don't even know what MP3s are. You're going to get the, the Spotify playlist and... You know, there used to be these physical things we like to call media. We had records, and then we had tapes, and then we had CDs, which were like records, but used lasers instead of tactile. Anyways, when you get excited about something, you follow it, and there's a cost associated with following. And so what is the cost associated with following Christ? And I hope that we'll walk away answering both of the questions. What's, what's the cost, and what's the reward of following Christ, and understanding that the answer to both is everything. The cost is everything, but the reward is everything that matters. So we're going to read out of Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through uh, 26. If you could stand, or 27 rather, if you could stand with me, we stand in reverence to the word of God as we read it together. I invite you to read with me, and hopefully we will do, make it, yeah, we're doing it. And we'll read it together. Luke 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father, and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these words that you've given us. And Lord, right now, I pray that you would give us a clear picture of the true cost of discipleship, what it costs for us to follow you. And at the same time, God, I pray that you would 
you would enlarge our view of Christ and his glory to such a degree that the cost seems insignificant. That the decision seems obvious. God, we thank you that you love us and that you've expressed that love in your sovereign care for us through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And as we consider this text, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to behold the wonder and the glory of Jesus Christ. That as we think of denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following you, that it would seem like an insignificant thing in comparison to the glory that is revealed in Jesus Christ, the hope of the gospel. I pray that we would follow you wholeheartedly, that we would offer our lives fully to you, knowing that we are receiving more than anything we might give up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So before we jump into this text before, uh, I want to give some context around the situation because Luke has been building building a case. And if we just take this out of context, we might not understand what's going on. But if you just back up a few verses in verse 10, we see that Jesus feeds 5,000 people. He and his disciples, they're they're talking and and he's ministering to 5,000 men, which doesn't count women and children. So there's tons of people basically. He's ministering to them, teaching them, and they come to a point where the disciples say, okay, you got to send them away so they can get food. And he says, no, you're going to feed them. And, and Jesus miraculously, through what the disciples have to give, multiplies that and feeds 5,000. Then we see in verse 18 that, that Jesus asks them, who, who do people say I am? Right? This question that we've been dealing with, who do people say I am? And, and they give their various answers. And then he says, you know what, who do you say I am? And Jesus, or not Jesus, and, and Peter responds, uh, the Christ of God. In other words, you are God. You are the chosen one, the Messiah of God. And in another section, Jesus blesses them and says, you know, Peter, this is not something that you came up with, but this has actually been revealed to you by God. And then, after that, he tells the disciples that he's going to be crucified, He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and raised. So he goes from doing this amazing miracle to to Peter confessing that Jesus is is Lord, is God, and and then Jesus prophesying that he is going to die horrible death and he's going to be raised again on the third day. All of this is the backdrop for this section and we need to keep that in mind as we read. Here in this section, Luke's going to give us two things, the mandate and the motivation for discipleship. The mandate and the motivation for discipleship. In other words, what does discipleship look like? Now, before we we look at this, I I grew up in, in the 80s and 90s. I was born in 1983. So I, you know, I was in the middle of the 80s and 90s, and it was a time of martial arts. At least in the movies. It was a time of maybe many other things, but it was a time of, of martial arts. And I'm not talking about like grizzly, MMA, grappling. This is, this is high-flying, fancy-free, up-in-the-air, kicks-and-punches martial arts. 
The kind of martial arts that, that you can associate with birds like cranes. You know, uh, in, in just a, by way of a survey, in 1984, the Karate Kid comes out and changes a generation. In 1986, Karate Kid 2 comes out and disappoints that same generation. In 1989, Karate Kid 3 comes out and, again, disappoints us because it just isn't as good as the first one. In the 90s, we see the Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, live action movie. Now, prior to this, we'd had tons and tons of, of comics and, and cartoons that had prepared the way for this, for us to meet them in person, to see these animatronic monstrosities kicking and punching and destroying the Foot Clan. We were introduced to Casey Jones, who was a, a vigilante hockey player. In, in 1991, we see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Part 2, the, the scent of the ooze, and it completely jumps the shark. It, it, it goes in a completely different direction. I think that, was that the one with Vanilla Ice? I mean, it was, it was bad. It was a bad thing. In 1992, we had three ninjas, which if you don't know, that's not about three Asian ninjas. It was about three little boys who were somehow trained to be ninjas by their granddad. It was the most ridiculous. I mean, these are all kind of pretty ridiculous plots if we're honest with ourselves. But I was so excited. I wanted to take a coffee filter and fill it with a bunch of things that I could then throw to an assailant and blind that person as though it was a, a pepper spray bag. I wanted to punch and kick and, and roll around and, and do amazing things. I was excited about martial arts. And then I got into martial arts. And I found out that it's not like the movies. And I spent 15 minutes one time in horse riding stance, just punching, just doing this, with my quad screaming at me, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done. Oh, we're going to do it in three. Okay, great. We're doing three different locations. This is nothing like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I walked around like an idiot. Now, granted, I, I still value, and I'm joking, uh, I value, I, I took Taekwondo, and my mom's Korean, and so there was a connection there. Taekwondo's from Korea. I took Tung Sudo, which is also Korean. And, and it was valuable. It taught me discipline. It taught me flexibility and, and agility. And, and I learned to, to break boards, and that was cool. Impressed all my friends, not really. But it was still fun. But it wasn't like the movies. It wasn't like the movies. I didn't have any ninja superpowers. I didn't even get to you know, carry a sword. Um, there was no green goo that made me a mutant, as much as I had hoped for. The green goo that I got from the Ninja Turtle toys was just like gack. It was, it was nothing special. And I did absolutely no acrobatics, which I found, you know, a lot of those movies, it's not as much martial arts as it is gymnastics. I wanted awesome, spectacular, but I got horse, rash, horse riding stance punch training. And, and sometimes when we approach this idea of, of following Christ... We want spectacular, awesome, raising people from the dead, um, living lives of, a, of amazing victory, receiving blessings from God, hearing God, saying things and things transforming and changing, and God says, I want you to stop cussing. I want you to be kind to your spouse. 
to be patient with your sibling, to be faithful, to be a good employee. And you're like, but God, where I will go to the, the uttermost reaches of Papua New Guinea and sacrifice my life for you. And, and God says, but can you just talk to your neighbor? Can you just be kind to your neighbor? And as we look at this text about discipleship, we're going to hear that he leads with the fundamentals. But, but if, you've ever, if you've ever addressed this text, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, maybe you've approached it, in, in, in I, when I first read it, I kind of approached it this way. I was like, oh, it's a ho-hum story, and I'm going to have to preach the tough message. And they're going to have to listen to the, the tough message. Guys, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And that is a tough message. But he doesn't just give the mandate for discipleship, he gives them motivation. So I want you to hear both of these happening and understand that the mandate is empowered by the amazing motivation. So look at verse 23 for, for me. He says to all, and, and remember what we just talked about. We were reading the Bible. We were reading it in order. So we know that he maybe he was around 5,000 people. Maybe he's in a large group. Maybe not. We're not exactly sure. He know, we know his disciples are there, but he, he's saying this to all of them. He's not just speaking to the di- disciples who he was speaking to just a few minutes ago when he talked about how he's going to die and he'd be raised from the dead. He was talking and he, he took the disciples aside and said, guys, this is what's going to happen. And now Luke is telling us by the word all, hey, he, he's speaking to all and he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, one, take up his cross, two, and take up his cross daily, and follow me, three. So he makes three points. That's the mandate of discipleship. You want to know what discipleship looks like? Discipleship looks like you dying. I love you. You live in Christ having died. Paul says it this way. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live toward him. For his glory, I'm paraphrasing. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I want to look at those first three. First of all, he says, deny yourself. Now you can fall on one of two, uh, uh, one or two ditches here. You can either choose not to deny yourself and just live doing what you want. Or you can deny yourself and let that be the expression of your Christianity. Just, just denying yourself. And this is the picture of the Whoa, you know, I'm a Christian, living my life, can't go to that party, got to deny myself, can't, can't have fun, fun is for sinners, I can't, I can't do good, you know. He, he says deny yourself, but understand that, that this is leading up to something. But he does call us to deny ourselves. Denying ourselves is, the, the word there is, is the exact opposite of confessing. And what we're doing here is we're doing exactly what God calls us to in repentance, where you say, I no longer confess that Eddie is in charge. I no longer confess that Eddie is Lord of my life. I no longer confess that Eddie is the one who chooses my destiny. I deny myself. I deny my autonomy. I deny my ability to choose my destiny apart from Christ, and I confess Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
You know, sometimes when we think about Christianity family, we, we, we try to superimpose a 2,000-year-old Jewish guy and think, man, that's weird. God wants me to live like a 2,000-year-old Jewish guy. I live in 2021. I'm a half, half white, half Korean, 30-something guy, and, and I, how do I do that? And, and that's not what discipleship is. Discipleship is, and, and I'm quoting a pastor, is if Jesus were you, how would Jesus live? If Jesus was a, a half-white, half-Korean, 38-year-old 30, man married with, with three kids, how would he live? Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not called to, to wear the clothes of a, of a Middle Eastern man from 2,000 years ago, but we're called to live in such a way that Christ and his character is being exhibited in us. And that begins when we say no to our own desires and begin to say, God, what would you have me do in this moment? Denying yourself means that you're not first and foremost asking, how can I fulfill myself? It's asking, God, what would please you? Denying myself doesn't mean that now I don't have the freedom to just do what I want. Right? I can no longer sin because I can no longer disobey God because I'm not in charge of my life. I, I don't get to make those choices. Instead, I have to say, God, how would you have me live? What would you like me to do? I can no longer hold on to a grudge because I want to, and it's my life, and they offended me. Because Jesus said, forgive. And denying myself is saying, I'm not going to give myself the, the, the pleasure of trying to stand in the way or stand and be the vindicator and the judge. I know that God is vindicator and judge. It means that you don't get to say, well, I want to live my life and have these kinds of relationships and marriage or no marriage and, and purity or no purity. I get to decide how I live. No, God says it's one husband, one wife, and all the things that are, uh, married people do, they do within the context of that relationship and everything outside of that is purity like brothers and sisters that's, that's what God calls us to. And denying yourself is recognizing that that's the standard that God's called us to. And I'm not going to try and do anything else besides that. He calls us to deny ourselves. But he doesn't stop there. He says, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Yay. The cross was the Roman tool of execution. And they would do a thing where if you had a criminal who was about to be executed, I mean, it's pretty messed up, to be honest. They would, they would take you to the site where you're being executed, and you would carry the instrument of your execution. And what it was was a picture of someone else's authority ruling over you. You're walking around, and you're not in charge anymore. You're not an authority. And in fact, you're, you're, walking, you're walking the long path to your death. And so Jesus takes that picture and he says, you know what discipleship is? Discipleship is you taking up this cross, admitting that I am no longer live. I am under another person's authority. I'm under someone else's authority. And family... I think that most of us could say thumbs up to that idea in the big areas because I don't see a lot of bank robbers or you know, murderers. Or, but but he, doesn't, he doesn't say in the big things take up your cross. 
You, you can't cut your life up into parts. You, you ever tried to do that? You know, well, God, I, I know I'm, I'm having trouble in this area, but I'm doing great in this area. Pastor Eddie told me to read my Bible. I did that, so it's okay if I lie and cheat and steal right here, right? No, he, he says, you as a person, take up your cross. And the, he, he also says this, daily. When I first read it, uh, when we were together, I, I almost missed that. Take up your cross daily. How often? Every day. And the point there is not just like once a day, like it's a vitamin. The point is always. Should you do it today? Yes. You know, it's, it's Saturday. I'm off. Do I, have to, do I have to still be a Christian and live under the authority of God? Yes. It's Friday night, 11 o'clock. My friends are going to the club. Do I have to, do I have to carry? Can I put this down for just a minute? Or like, just give me two hours. No, you still have to carry that cross. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Now he says in the beginning, if anyone would come after me, and then he says you have to dot, 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 follow me. And let's, let's put ourselves in the position of the disciples now. Jesus has just told them that he's going to be crucified. And, and this is the beginning really of Jesus' walk towards the cross. And so he's, he's telling his disciples, I'm headed in a direction that I want you to follow. And you know, when I started talking about the Christian walk, I mentioned how, you know, we want, we want lights, camera, awesome. You know, we want glorious lasers and tanks and, and, and awesome things when it comes to the, our, our relationship with God. We want to have miracles, you know, oh man, I prayed and God let me win the lottery and now I'm a millionaire and, and I have no problems because of Jesus, hashtag blessed. But but he says, you got to follow me. And what does Paul say about him? In, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but what? Made himself a servant. Sorry, sorry made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We cannot skip the journey. If Jesus had to walk to the point of death before he was exalted, he goes on to talk about how God has exalted him, God the Father has exalted him, we cannot skip that process. A student is no greater than the teacher. A servant is no greater than the master. If they did it to me, Jesus said, they'll do it to you. Family, we need to become comfortable with the idea that life is difficult. That God calls us into circumstances of suffering. Now, he is not, he's not an unkind, callous, or unloving God. He's not maniacal or malevolent. But God uses suffering, he uses pain, he uses difficulty like a furnace to burn off the imperfections. We're silver and gold in a cauldron and he is, he's burning off the dross, he's burning off the imperfections. There's beauty and wonder and excellence inside of you that God has put there by his grace 
And he's going to bring it out through the struggles of pain and suffering and challenges and trials. And, and while I'm not saying, everybody, go get yourself in a sticky situation, go pursue suffering, go, go look for problems. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when you find yourself in those circumstances, before you just begin to uh, bind this demon or say that it's the devil, ask yourself, what does God want to accomplish in my life in the midst of this circumstance? What does God want me to do? I have, I have a pastor who, who encourages me and, and, and pastors me. And, and, you know, I'll be in the middle of difficult situations and, and he pastors other people in the same way. And he'll, you know, sometimes my inclination will be just, how do I get out of this? You know, what, what do I do? And, and he has this funny question. He says, how is that working for you? And, and what his point is, is he's trying to draw attention to how I'm responding to my circumstances. And I'm not saying that many of you are in difficult circumstances or you've been in difficult circumstances re recently. We're all wearing masks. You're wearing masks. It is a difficult circumstance. But God tells us that we are to follow him into difficulty, humility, humiliation. Again, not because we want to just pursue pain for the sake of pain, but because there's a plan and there's a purpose in the suffering that God brings into our life. And I, I know that might be a radical thing to say. It might be an offensive thing for you to hear. And, and if you're offended by that, I love you and I'd love to talk to you after service. But you, you only have to go to as far as Jesus' own life to see that God takes us through humility and humiliation before we get to experience exaltation. He says, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. But he doesn't just stop there. Jesus could have said, period, and be, was done. And it would have been perfectly fine for him to do that, and we would have been on the hook to obey. But he goes on, and he says in verses 24, 25, and 26, these four statements. These grounding because statements. Again, we're reading the Bible, you and I are reading, and we're observing. And one of the things we can observe in verse 24, he says, for, and when you open up with for, there's a reason behind it, you know? I have to go to the store for I have, well, we would say because, but you could say, you know, pretend like we're Shakespearean, for I lack milk. The lack of milk is the ground for the, for the trip to the store. Another way of putting it is, I lack milk, therefore, I will go to the store, right? That, that's the way the logic flows. And so he says in verse 24, for whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So if, he's, if we key into the second part, he says, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Deny yourself, take your cross up, and follow me. For whoever will follow me, whoever will lose his life, whoever will deny himself will what? Save his life. Jesus is not about ruining your life. He's about giving you life. He's about giving you life. And the other side of that analogy with the whole martial arts, you know, I want, I want to be able to flip and kick and do all these amazing things. There were people in those movies who did those things. There were people in those movies doing acrobatics, amazing flying kicks, you know, exploding things. Maybe not exploding things, but they were doing amazing things. Do you know how they got there? They had to go through these fundamentals. 
They had to go through that process. And, and Jesus is saying, I know that you want to get over here to where you're experiencing the grace and the wonder and the amazing uh, awesomeness of God, but you're going to have to go through some things. Whoever would lose his life for my sake will save it. And then he, he puts in, whoever saves his life will lose it. Family, if you try to hold on to your own autonomy, it will destroy you. you you'll have it, and you'll hold it right to the grave. And then you'll be judged. If you, if you want to say, God, I, I love you and I, I'm thankful for my salvation, but I'm going to run my life, you're going to find yourself in a sticky, sticky situation because God doesn't just allow us to follow him as, as Savior without Lord. If you try to hold on, and family, this is not just big picture holding on. If you try to hold on to that one little sin, I'll follow you in all these things, God. I'll repent in all these areas, but in this one little area, it's mine. That will destroy you. If you if, God, I will walk in love and kindness and patience and gentleness, but this one person, they hurt me too much. You just don't understand, God. I'm not going to forgive them. It's going to destroy you. If you try to save your own life, you will lose it. We're not good at saving our lives. I love you, family. I love you. You're not good at saving your own life. He says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life will save it. Again, we're thinking motivation. What's the motivation, Jesus, for denying myself, taking up my cross and walking? And he says in verse 25, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? He's, keep, it in, keep it in context, Jesus says. Get the right perspective. If you, if you get all of the money in the world, you can buy a building in, in New York City and live in that whole building and you just have a basement with gold coins that you swim in, a la uh, Scrooge McDuck. It, and at the same time, you, you still are getting older, you become an old duck and then you're a dead duck. If you aren't trusting in God, you're not going to live eternally in a happy way. Family, we have an ultimate problem and it isn't how much money we have. It isn't our, our, our life situation. Our ultimate problem is the fact that we are sinners, we are, we are rebels, we are criminals in God's country, in his, in his world. And as sinners, as criminals, there is a penalty, there's a punishment due to us for our sin. And that punishment is eternal condemnation, death, forever, hell, Hell is not a happy place. It is a place of punishment and pain. And I don't want to talk about this. I don't enjoy thinking about hell. I don't want any of you to go there. But the reality is what God has told us in scripture is that there's two options. One is if you live toward God and you accept the forgiveness that he gives you, you, you receive eternal life. But if you don't do that, anything else you do isn't going to get you there. And there's only one other destination. He says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses himself? The, 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 the answer is nothing. 
And he goes on, he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The holy angels. Jesus says, guys, this is about embracing what I've said. Discipleship is denying yourself and embracing what I've said. Picking up your cross and embracing what I've said. Following me and embracing what I've said. If you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. If that hits you hard, it, I'm, I'm, again, these are not my words. These are, these are God's words. The words under which we have to submit ourselves. If you're ashamed of me, he says, I will be ashamed of you when I show up, not as a meek and mild Jesus with a lamb on my shoulders, but as the glorious, risen, king of kings, lord of lords, ruler of all, creator of all things. And he says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now that, that has caused some conversation among commentators. Why, why does he say that? But if we go on, again, we're reading the Bible. We're observing. Verse 28 talks about this, this event called the transfiguration where we get a glimpse. Peter, James, and John get a glimpse into the glory of God. Jesus and the disciples go up on a mountain and then he's transfigured. He's made to look like he's white and he's not white like a person, but like gleaming light. He's brilliant with light. And it's overwhelming, so much so that Peter just starts saying ridiculous stuff. Like, oh, 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 this is amazing. Let's stay here. I'll build some tents. It'll be awesome. And God from heaven says, just listen to him. This is my son. Listen to him. Elijah and Moses are there. It, it's, it's a really, it's, it's an amazing thing. And, and God gives us an open door to look in and, and peek at the glory of God. And so we see in verse 27, verse 28, say, it, I'm sorry, verse 26, Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. But... There are some who won't even taste death before they see the glory that's available, the glory that, that you can experience and see. He, he's providing a contrast. And then Luke shows us what, what the, the contrast is in the transfiguration. In losing your life, you'll save it. There's no benefit to gaining everything but losing yourself. And if you're ashamed of Christ, he'll be ashamed of you. But, but you can experience the glory of God. You can be witnesses to his glory. I'm going to close with this. In Matthew 13, to go somewhere completely different, <laughs> Matthew 13, verse 44 through 46, Jesus tells this parable of the kingdom of God. And he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells it sells all that he has and buys the field. Right? It's two sentences. But just, just fill it out with me. You have this man, he's walking around a field and, and he, he realizes that, that there's something here that isn't dirt. So he, he, he reaches down and he kind of brushes the dirt off and, oh, it's a treasure chest like you see in the pirate movies. So he looks around, makes sure no one's around digs it out, and it's full of gold bullion. I mean, just full of it. And so he puts it back in, covers it up. Again, 
make sure no one's watching. And he goes and he just starts selling everything. He has a house, he's got a mortgage, he's got three, two cars. And, he, and, and his family is paying attention and you're selling your house? Why? Oh, you know, because it's just, it's going to be awesome. Why did you get, you're taking the bus because you, you sold your Tesla? What's, what's going on right now? It's just, don't worry about it. It's going to be great. He sells his, his he, he cashes in on his retirement. I mean, he just, he liquidates everything. And everyone who's watching him thinks he's crazy. That's a key point here. Everyone who watches him thinks he's nuts. And then he goes and he's like, hey, can I buy that field? Yeah, it's going to cost us much money. Here you go, cash. Let's get it all written down, get it notarized. So this is my field. And what does he have? He has treasure worth more than anything else that he had in his life. And in that moment, everyone who looked at him and thought he was foolish and stupid is now looking foolish. In your life, there are going to be moments where you think to yourself or where people around you think to yourself, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. You don't want to go to that movie because it's too risque. You don't want to go. You're going to forgive him? Don't you remember what he did to you? You're not, no one's watching. We'll just take a few of these things from the office. Nobody cares. The office managers are just always reorders these things. People will look at you like you're crazy if you follow Christ. But the funny thing is, you're not the crazy one. Because you have rightly valued what you have and what God has. I said this. Luke is trying to tell us what the cost of following Christ is and what the reward of following Christ is. And the reality is that both of those questions have the same answer, everything. Don't fool yourself, family. It will cost you more than you ever would have thought to follow Christ. It will cost you friends. It may cost you jobs. It will cost you your own freedoms. And at the same time, when Jesus comes into his glory, when, when he shows himself to be glorious, you will not look foolish. And God is so gracious that, that he will often give a, oftentimes give us a, a preview. He gave the disciples a preview in the transfiguration. He will give you moments in your life where you'll get to see, you know, God answers my prayer in this miraculous way. God meets me in this unique way. And though he doesn't have to, he will provide these little God winks to help you come along and remember the motivation of being a disciple. That there's so much more in what God offers than what I can keep for myself. Deny yourself, take your cross up daily and follow me. This is the call. This is the, mo- this is the, the mandate of discipleship. But the motivation is that you're about to purchase a field. And that field is going to make you rich. Not necessarily rich with earthly gain, but rich in eternal fulfillment. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love for us. And I thank you that you richly supply all our needs. 
And although you call us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to follow you, that you do so providing a powerful motivation for that. That there's a motivation that we can take hold of recognizing that if we try to cling to our own lives, we'll lose it. But if we, if we give up our lives freely to you, then you will give us new life. You will give us purpose and life and fulfillment. If you haven't ever trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you find yourself questioning these things, today is a great day to respond to Jesus to say, I thank you for the fact that you died on the cross for my sins in my place and that you invite me into this costly discipleship. And I want to follow you. I want to turn away from, I want to deny myself. I want to turn away from everything I know to be sin and I want to turn to you. If that's you, I'd love for you to pray with me. You can just put your hand up in the air. If you're online, you can let one of our hosts know. You can press the button. But all you need to do is is pray this, God, I turn away from everything I know to be sin, everything I know to be disobedience toward you, and I turn to you. I receive the life that you offer to me, and I take up my cross, and deny myself, and I follow you wherever you take me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If that's you, please let one of us know so we can help walk with you. Family, I love you. God loves you. God's got big, amazing things planned for us. If we will be faithful to the fundamentals. Love you, family.